All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 11 all the way through verse number 15 this morning, and we're in a series about church membership and what does it mean to be a church member, and this morning we're going to talk about exchanging our preferences for what God wants us to. So let's begin to read there in verse number 11 in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Corinthians. The Bible says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, or literally if we're, if we're out of our mind, It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, speaking of Jesus, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In the context of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, it follows Paul's discussion about the transient nature of human life, the fact that we all grow older, the fact that, well, they didn't have it back then, but today we can look at pictures of ourselves years ago and see that there's change, whether you're young or whether you're old. In chapter 4, he begins to unpack the light of the gospel. And if you've read your Bible carefully, if you've had Bible study tools, you'll know that, that Corinth, the city that these believers lived in to whom Paul was writing, was kind of like an ancient equivalent, Bible scholars have said, to New Orleans, pre-Katrina. A city known for corruption, a city known for sin. So here he is writing to people who are in a spiritually dark climate, saying that the light of the gospel can break through. And then in verse 7 in chapter 4, he begins to, to break down what God uses to bring the gospel. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to whom? To us. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying that everything that God does through us, if we were really honest with ourselves, we could say, you know what, not only do I have feet of clay, but guess what, I'm an earthen vessel. I wake up on different days and feel different ways. I have issues, I have limitations, but yet God chooses to work through humble vessels. Do you realize that God could have just sent angels to preach the gospel to the whole world? He could do that. Imagine that. You're a shepherd way out somewhere in the middle of Asia and all of a sudden, poof, angels appearing. And like, like not the little angels we see on TV today and people have pictures of and they hang on the Christmas tree, but like a, a true biblical angel to where when the people saw them, they thought they were going to die. They were that scared. God could have done that. God's like, angel, go do such and such. Poof, it's done. Angels there, mission accomplished. But why did God choose to use people like us to bring the gospel into all the world? The Apostle Paul says, look again in chapter 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure. What's the treasure? The treasure of the gospel. A changed heart to show that the surpassing 
Power belongs to God and not to us. Context of 2 Corinthians, when it builds to chapter 5, he comes to chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, and he says, to the extent that, guess what, this life is not all that there is. And for a Christian, when sometimes you look around, whether you're ill, whether you lose your job, whether there's relational drama, and you just say, man, life just stinks. Sometimes it's great. Right? Sometimes you can come to the start of the vacation, and it's like, man, I can't wait. Or Friday night, once you get home, you're able to relax. Man, this is good. But sometimes during the very difficult times, there can be believers like us who are, who have world weariness. We're just tired, man. We're just tired. We're just tired of life. We're tired of the things that we go through. The Apostle Paul is reminding the believers. Notice verse number 5 in chapter 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, So once again, the context here is believers who are living in a very difficult, dark, spiritually jacked up, perverted culture. And they're living for Jesus, but there can be a point to where sometimes we get weary of that. Because it's so difficult. He says, guess what? God has given you a guarantee. And this is not all there is. And in verse 11, he says, therefore, knowing, knowing that, go back to verse 10, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether, whether good or evil. He's saying there's going to be a day in which we give an accounting to God. And in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear or the terror of the Lord... We persuade people. He's saying that life is difficult. And let's just be honest for a moment that sometimes the greatest times of victory in our lives are when things in our life do not go the way that we want. Think about the time to maybe where the prayer was not answered the way that we wanted it to be. Think about times to where it was just like, why are these things happening? Often what God does in our lives is He brings us through extremely difficult circumstances so that we will once again be brought to the point to realize back in verse 7 in chapter 4 that we are in, we have bodies of flesh and blood, but the surpassing power is God. To bring us to a point again of total submission, total giving control of our lives to Jesus Christ. So what does all of this have to do with our series on church membership and what does it mean to be a church member? Now we've kind of explained the context. Go with me again to verse number 15. This is our key verse this morning. Jesus is speaking of his death and he died for all so that, here's the purpose clause, that those who live, meaning us, whoever, might no longer live for whom? Themselves, but for him who for their sake Died and was raised. Here's our driving thought this morning. It comes from Tom Rainer, which captures the idea of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Here it is. True joy means giving up our rights and preferences and serving someone else. True joy, we could say happiness on steroids that's not dependent upon circumstances, is us giving up, in the context of the church, giving up our rights and our preferences and serving everyone we can serve. Remember the last time you were around little kids? Some of y'all who have kids, it's maybe just this morning. You ever notice how kids are, um, 
usually a little bit selfish. You ever notice how kids are very quick to tell everybody else how awesome they are? You ever heard little kids say, oh, I'm the best at this. I'm so strong. I'm this, I'm that. And parents are like, honey, don't, don't, don't do that. And the reason why parents do that to try to restrain the heart of the child is because they want the child to have friends. Amen, parents? I mean, how many of us want to be with somebody our age if we're in middle school, high school, as adults, and they're just always talking about how stinking awesome they are? We just slowly try to get away from those people because we just don't want to hear it. I mean, we, we've got some VHS tapes of our family birthday parties, like my brother Josh, who's now, who's now 30, it's his fourth birthday party. And we watched that, like as a family a while ago, and I was a little monster. I mean, it's walking around telling people, sit down, sit down. And they're just like, where did little Mussolini come from? Like, what, what, what? But as we grow older, if we have parents and godly people in our life, we, we have that, that natural selfishness, that natural drive to grab a hold of what we want. That's a lesson, listen, for when we are in public and with other people. We still think selfishly, right? We still think, I would rather this, I want this, but because we've learned how to keep jobs and friends, we don't always say what we think. Are you tracking with me this morning? It's still in here, but we just don't articulate it. That's because we grow, in a sense, mature. And it's always, it's always funny to me. So, like, there's always going to be somebody in church... Um, which God has blessed us here. We have a spirit of unity, I believe, in Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And they, they just think that everything that's in their mind, everybody else needs to hear. Everything that's in Jeff's mind, everybody doesn't always need to hear. I've always thought, man, how awesome do we have to think we are that everything we think, well, in my mind, well, let us sit down, oh great one, and take notes. Right? I mean, have you ever known anybody like that to where it's just like, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's going to cause a problem unnecessarily. It doesn't matter if it's going to be all about them. If they think it or they feel it, I mean, the guys, you in my mind, some of the ladies are like, oh yeah, I mean, it's just, and man, when they let it loose, it's just like, they don't care what happens. It's like, what's going to happen if we press the red button? I don't know, but I want to. And they'll just sit there and look at you. But I mean, imagine, imagine this, go with me on this thought. I was thinking this week, how do we unpack this amazing book in this chapter in these two verses, 11, verse 11 through verse 15 and verse 15, that they, we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised from the dead. How do we unpack that? I was thinking about kids in regards to maturity. And imagine if, let's say maybe the, I don't know, the, the ones, the twos, the threes, and, and they're, they're talking to each other. They're like, guys, you know, we, we, need, we need to start maturing. Like the thing about kids of that age is being potty trained, right? I have a friend, he's a, he's a pastor, man. And he says, like my, my little boy, he was being potty trained. We're trying to get him to, to do what he's supposed to do. And, and he actually, he actually went and hid in the closet. And we found him in the closet. He was ashamed. But I mean, imagine if little kids can have adult conversations and say, guys, we've got, I mean, when it's potty time, just go to the bathroom. We can do this. Y'all okay? 
I mean, imagine little kids had that. They're like, you know, you know, you gotta make the effort. You gotta grow. And then, I mean, imagine if you, you push it like four, five, six, seven, something like that. I mean, and the conversations change from like, Johnny, like we know that you still have that nightlight. And even though your 16 year old brother tells you there's monsters underneath the bed, he's lying because we all know he watched Barney when he was our age. Like we can, we can do this. We can progress. And Sylvester, stop sucking your thumb already. Like, come on, we, we've got to, we've got to grow. We've got to mature. And isn't it great that we all reach maturity once we get adults? Right? Isn't, isn't that awesome? Right? And especially, man, like when you're in middle school, like there's going to be a couple years and you're going to get those, those dangling keys, man. And you're just going to, I mean, you're going to be able to drive mom or dad's vehicle and, and turn up the music in in that van or truck or car doesn't even have a good sound system and and you're going to pick your friends up and i'll go get a snow cone in the middle of the summer and be like what's up who's in the house we are and that's been that's awesome stuff and then and then if you ever talk to i, I try to tell our seniors man don't become cool and i'm not talking about our our senior seniors like a high school senior Have you ever noticed like when you get senioritis when it's like man i'm 17 18 you know 19 20, 21, something like that. Like, and I'm getting ready to graduate high school, right? And, and it's like, I'm so done. I'm so done with this school. Like, I'm ready for college. I'm going to go and meet people who are much cooler at college than are here. Right? And then, or I'm, I'm going to go straight into the workforce. My favorite, and I love this. I encourage this. When you hear some young guys that are having behavior issues with mom and dad, and they will not obey, they will not submit, they're just rebellious, they're jerks, they treat their parents terribly, and then they'll say something like, man, I want to, I don't want anybody tell me what to do, dog. I want to go to the military. You know? And it is like, man, I, I think, I think that may be God's will for your life. You know, you can be a witness for Christ. You can be a witness for Christ there and, you know, you can go and I just, you know, the first day you're going to have some drill sergeant, six foot eight, 400 pounds of solid muscle with boots so shiny you can spit on them and see your reflection in it, have them eating dirt off the ground. And it's going to be like right at that point, mom and dad are going to be praying and Pastor Jeff's going to be like, boom, right? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, that has to happen in order for a young man to progress and come to a point of maturity. It was Robert E. Lee who said that if one is to become a man, he must first learn to obey. That's mom and dad. It has to do with the law. And ultimately, it has to do with Jesus Christ. Here's what Tom Rainer said in regards to maturity in the church. Listen to this. He says, Christians can sometimes act just like demanding children who want their way. Temper tantrums in church may not include church members lying on the floor, kicking and screaming, but some come close. (laughs) Brother Pat said, amen. (laughs) I love it. That's a pastor. I love it. But the strange thing about church membership, now check this out, is that you actually give up your preferences when you join. Let me read that again because I know we may have a few Baptists in the room. But the strange thing about church membership is that you actually give up your preference when you join. Don't get me wrong. There may be much about your church that you like a lot, but you're there. Listen, you're there. You are here. I am here to meet the needs of others. 
You are there to serve others. You are there to give. You are there to sacrifice. Do you get the picture? It's an interesting fact that the word servant appears 57 times in the New Testament and the verb form to serve appears 58 times in the New Testament. What we're going to do here is go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15, unpack this text specifically now that we have the context. And uh, by the way, if you're new with us, one thing that we try, we try to model at Rocky Mount Baptist Church is something called expositional or expository preaching. It's a big fancy word that scholars use to simply mean that we read the Bible, we draw out, hopefully, from the Bible what we preach here so that you're not looking at the Bible saying, where on earth does the pastor get that every Sunday? For example, if we read one verse here and then I talk about the New York Giants for the whole sermon or about what I had for breakfast and somehow throw Jesus in there a couple of times, that's not expository preaching. We use all sorts of things for illustrations, for just like the examples that we just used, just like football, shopping, whatever it may be. But our source is this. And in when we teach the Bible, expository preaching, that's the reason why we use the word context. Because we don't want to just come to the Bible, jerk something out of context, because it may not mean what we're saying it means. We want to allow God's word to speak in a natural, God-honoring way. Does that make sense? So that's the reason why we do what we do. And really the fundamental reason for that, it's because we're not all about Jeff and some fancy sermon he can come up. We're very simple. It's the Bible and what it says. It's the authority I'm not. All right? So let's go back to verse 11 through verse 15. And we're going to look at some ways that the gospel actually changes or we could say helps us exchange our preferences for a greater joy. Number one... Verse 11 leads us to say this. God's nature leads us or helps us persuade people to follow him. Notice that it says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's why at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, we want the music. Now, please hear me carefully on this. We want the music to be powerful because the words that we're singing are powerful. But our goal with our music Worship ministry is not to get you guys into some ecstatic, weird, emotionalism type of state so that you do something when your mind was not engaged. You see? Now, as you say, Jeff, are you saying that we should do dead music? Absolutely not. True Christian music should be full of power because true Christian songs are speaking about the gospel, which is power. But we want to persuade people by appealing to the mind. On our website, we've got a whole section called Got Questions. So if you're here this morning having doubts about whether the Bible is true, about whether the resurrection happened, we encourage questions. Amen, church? Like we want you to seek and to see if the Lord is true and real. So God's nature, knowing who he is, knowing that hell is for real, that heaven is for real, and that every single one of us are a heartbeat away from death, eternity in one of two places, that should motivate us to persuade people to trust in Jesus Christ. And let me just say a word on that. 
I'm sure that we have people Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you have heard sermon after sermon after sermon, but you've never truly been saved. You may be, you may be very churched here or at another church in Franklin County or in another state, but outside of Jesus coming and changing your heart by you repenting of your sin, placing all your faith in him, all of your good works will not make a hill of beans on judgment day, and you will go to hell because you worship your own goodness instead of Jesus. But the beautiful part of the gospel is that Jesus came to pay for what we could never pay. Go with me to verse number 12. Not only does God's nature and who he is lead us to persuade people to trust Jesus, but secondly, some people may and even will misinterpret your serving God as advancing yourself. Notice what the apostle Paul says in verse 12. He says, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, we, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Simply put, serving Jesus sometimes can be stressful. Are we awake this morning? Sometimes it can be difficult. The apostle Paul is saying, you know what? Even when some people may misunderstand you're serving Jesus. They're like, why are you all involved in church? Like what happened to you? They're not worried about the benefit that God gives you through being connected here as a local church. But they're just like, stop going to church all the time because it makes me feel guilty about not going. They won't say it, but often that's the motivation. And the Apostle Paul says people will misunderstand. Verse 13, people will even sometimes think that you're out of your right mind when you're saying, I just want to be passionate about Jesus. So what do we do when people misunderstand our passion? When they misunderstand why we do what we do? We love them for the glory of God. And guess what? If they make fun of us, even in America, physical persecution, I don't know if that would happen, at least not right now. But listen, even if it came to that, we should rejoice to know that we've been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. And naturally, you and I, when somebody makes fun of us, and don't treat us right, we want to get mad. We want to respond in kind. But the Apostle Paul is saying when people may even avoid you. And listen, it's amazing. Like as a pastor, I'm not a big guy. But it is amazing whether it's a gym, whether it's out, I mean, wherever it is. And people find out what I do. I mean, you seem big. That was funny, wasn't it? You see big men, like these guys who can take me with one hand tied behind their back, get all nervous and jumbled and won't look me in the eye. Why? Because Jeff knows the secrets of the heart? No? I mean, Jesus, just like every single other person, but when they see a quote-unquote preacher, it reminds them often of God. And if we're running from God, we've got guilt from God, and we're like, oh no, that's a God person. Like, that's, that's a person who believes in God and believes the Bible, so they must know all about me. And it is amazing how many people have come to us rocking about Baptist Church and will say things like, and God, God has moved many of those people in, from darkness into light, into salvation, and saved them. But I say, you know, it's like, like I, I come to church, you know, my first time, and like, like who, who, who told you? Like, did the person I come with, did they tell you all the things I've done? Because you were talking about me like your whole sermon. It was called preference exchange, but it was about my life. And I've never met him. 
See, that's the beauty of the Bible. When we just explain the Bible to people, the Holy Spirit takes that truth and applies it to them and says it is you. And guess what? When God does that, if you're feeling guilt this morning, if you're feeling like, man, I don't even know if I should be here, that is evidence that God is working in your heart. Because guess what? Even when we're saved, when God begins to show us more of who he is and more of who we are, guess what usually goes along with that? You could say conviction over sin that often leads to guilt. But it's not a worldly guilt that says, well, I just need to start doing better so I can feel better. It is a godly sorrow that leads us to repent. And it's a beautiful thing. Like a parent lovingly correcting a child. We think about the world thinking that we're crazy. And by the way, if you're a member of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, the group that we're connected with, the Southern Baptist Convention, who has... 5,000 missionaries all in countries around the world, even more missionaries serving here in North America. The secular culture will be like, you're a Christian? Like, yeah. Where do you go to church? I go to Baptist church. And we're like, oh, have y'all heard this? You're one of those. People will say that. And and if they're really educated, like they understand it, they're like, well, what kind of Baptist church? And if you say a Southern Baptist church, they're like, okay. Well, good talking to you. Like in the culture at large, we are increasingly being viewed as people who are outside of the cultural norm. The things that we say from the word of God, not because we're any better than people, but it's amazing though how the world responds. The world responds with saying, you're nuts. You're nuts. Like you're off your rocker. But here's the thing about the gospel. When people may misunderstand us, mistreat us, avoid us, which sometimes can be the most painful, before Jesus, all that we had to respond with was hate. And speaking of hate, skim milk. South Carolina, I think it's a beautiful illustration. Stay with me. In South Carolina, it's legal to sell raw milk. And my mom will go to this local farmer's market and buy, I mean, this raw, natural, local, in the upstate of South Carolina, this milk that, I mean, it's just, it's just full of awesome stuff. And it's not been homogenized. And it's, it's just whole upon top of whole. It still has the cream in there. Come on. And she'll bring it home and we'll put it in the fridge and you get a biscuit. Some of y'all about to leave right now. I gotta get something to eat. I don't know. I'm just. And man, you heat that biscuit up and you put some butter and it just, I mean, it just sucks in all the butter in the biscuit and then you get some of that milk. I just think about, man, the, the, the response, the response of unsaved people is like the diluted skim milk compared to the power of God's love, which is so whole and so rich and so complete and full of every good thing. So verse 14, not only what we've already said, but how we exchange our preferences for serving others is that the love of Christ is the strongest passion in our life. He says, for the love of Christ constrains us. It means it controls us. It means that the love of Christ is the reason why sometimes you give forgiveness to those who do not deserve it at all. And notice verse number 15. We can say this. Following Christ is the exchange of our personal preferences for a mission to win the world to Christ. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, the Bible says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Literally, you could translate that to say, Have the same kind of thinking dominate your mind as it dominated Jesus Christ. 
What, what, what was the prevailing character of Jesus coming here? It was selflessness and passion for the glory of God. And I believe that for some of you, the reason uh, what God could use for those of you that suffer from being depressed from time to time is to be involved as much as possible in serving other people. And one of the worst things that can happen to us, whether we're a believer or whether we're not, is to be isolated. What Satan will try to do is he will isolate us to say everybody else doesn't want to be around you. There will be no one at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Even if you go and try to plug into a Sunday school class, like when you sit down, everybody will sit far away from you. Satan will tell you things like that. He'll say, you won't connect with those people. You're not like them. All of those things. And what he'll try to do is to get us to be separate. And when he separates us off, it's just like Animal Planet, when the wolves are chasing the pack of elk or whatever the animal may be, and they separate one off. And once they get one to break away, they can surround it and take it down. For the glory of God, let us use our energy for making disciples of all nations. So now let's apply this. Now we're going to start, as we hear in church so often, stepping on toes. But at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we don't want to aim at the toes. We want to aim at the heart. Here are symptoms of a preference-driven heart or how to no longer live for yourself but live for Christ in the local church. Number one, this is a sign. If this dominates our joy, worship wars over music or the order of the service. The order of the service should not matter as long as Jesus is glorified. The music that is used will connect with different people, different tastes, different styles. We're so sad when Tony moved back to, to Wyoming. I mean, the Lord just brought us a professional grade banjo player. And I tell you what, I have never seen some people get more wild at Rocky Mount Baptist Church than when we would do the banjo sets. I mean, some people that, like, I thought you had a hip replacement last week. I mean, just standing up in the aisle going after it. It's amazing how how different styles will appeal to different people. But praise God, it's not about our preferences. And do you know what the sign of true Christian maturity would be? And by the way, it's interesting. Some people say, well, the older people like this style of music, the young people like this. It's not always that cut and dry. You know what a mark of spiritual maturity would be? If you like more of like a modern, uh, contemporary setup with music, you know, mark of spiritual maturity to say, let's see if we can work in some hymns. Y'all tracking or are we preaching yet? You see, I, 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 I enjoy, like I enjoy when David turns red and he starts just shredding the guitar and you know, drummers going crazy and drumsticks flying across from like I, you know, and heart pounding, chest pounding. Like I love that stuff. But you know what? Let, let me, let me sing with those hymns. Let me support that because I know that that reaches out to people. And for some of you, and you say, you know what, when, when the band gets up, it's something that I endure, not because it, they play poorly, it's just not my style of music. It would be a mark of spiritual maturity to say, how can, how can we play more of that so that we can reach more people for Jesus? Are we okay in the room this morning? It's interesting that we're Baptist church and we still do a walk-down invitation. For sometimes it's like this, to say, you know what, I want to live for Jesus, but I want to go down there in the invitation stand up in front of all those people. That would be nerve-wracking. When we come to Jesus, we give up our preferences. Amen, church? And we give it to Him. There's another sign of being preference-driven. That would be prolonged minutia meetings. 
Some of you have come from churches to where they have committees on top of committees on top of committees to the point that they actually have. I love this. This is a Baptist staple. A committee on committees. It's not a joke. And this is normally the way that that works. There are business meetings every quarter, every month. And if something needs to be done, the committee shows up and the church votes to let the committee do what the committee has already been voted on to do because they're the committee for that job. We still tracking? And then the committee has to go out and develop a report and then bring it back to the church to say, can we do what you voted on us to be able to do that you asked us to do? And then there's always a couple who are going to try to shoot that down. And so then what happens in the church is people say, I just want to serve Jesus. And they don't want to be on that type of organizational structure. Which biblically, it's not biblical at all. What we want to do at Rocky Mount Baptist Church and what God has graced us is we have teams that serve as ministry teams. For example, we have a, an encouragement team, a great group, and they have the spiritual gift of encouragement and the spiritual gift of mercy. And they write cards and make phone calls to people that are bereaved and that are ill. Because God has gifted them for that. We have the building and grounds team. They are awesome at fixing stuff. And so forth and so on. So what we don't want to do is have a, have a worldly type of structure set up that has more red tape than the IRS. And regardless of where we're serving in the church, sometimes preferences could come up like this. Am I being recognized for my service? Do you realize that as God blesses this church, and really even if we just had 50 people here on a Sunday morning, that serving Jesus, our joy can be taken away if we're looking to be recognized by other people. Hey, it's great to be encouraged, right? It's great to be, to be encouraged to serve Jesus, but when we look for other people to be the ones to keep us continuing on to serve, it's going to be a bust. There could also be the focus on sacred cows and facilities. Uh, there are, in some churches, territorialism to where this is my Sunday school class. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Or this is my pew. I've told you I visited a church when I was in uh, college. And I sat about right where you were sitting, Barry. And uh, there's nobody else on the rest of the pew. Church is getting ready to start. And a couple said, hi, how are you? Would you mind moving? That's our pew. And we sit there every Sunday. I'm telling you, that can happen in churches. Territorialism. I remember when I was swimming laps and when I lived in Greenville. And they had a uh, like a ladies' uh, uh, senior ladies aqua zumba class going on. I timed it wrong that day. And, uh, and I, w- I was swimming, you know, laps and there was this lady who was, who was over a, a lane and she, I-, I think maybe when I did a kick turn, I just splashed a little bit, which normally that happens in pool, right? Like pool water. And she did, she looked at me and she just like, like, like just started throwing water at me. Like this look, just like get out of my pool, you know? So I hit her on the head with a pool noodle. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But it's so, it's so amazing how even in church we can come, become territorial, right? Territorial with stuff that we think is ours when notice the text says again in chapter 5 verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. And with the growth of some of these classes and we've switched things around and so forth, uh, we have had Sunday school classes move from room 
to room, and we thank you guys for being able to do that. Another, one, no, another sign of being preference-driven is program-driven. Listen, we never want to do a program. We never want to do a program that has outlasted its viability. Another sign would be an inwardly-focused budget. That's a question that you can ask about a church. Where do they spend their money? And I was so blessed by our meeting this year that set up our annual budget and that a Rocky Mount Baptist Church is tithing everything that we take in to missions. And that's not to count what we do here, which is ministry, but we're giving more to the International Mission Board. We're giving uh, more to our Great Commission Fund so that when God lays it upon your heart to be a part of a mission trip, more money will be there to offset that cost. And I praise God for a church that is now, not just in the individually, but the whole church budget tithing specifically to missions, everything that we take in. Another sign could be an attitude of entitlement. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Philippians 2, 4, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Romans 15, 1, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not please ourselves. And I've thought before, what would happen to many of our churches in the United States to where there's arguments about the committees on committees and the color of the carpet and this is my Sunday school classroom and this is my pew? All of that is totally anti-gospel, by the way, just in case you're wondering. It has everything to do with the opposite of the Spirit of Christ because He came to give up His life. What would happen if we had full-on persecution in the United States? And that people who are coming, they come for everything not associated with the gospel. What would happen? The church would lose a lot of people. Because if I'm not coming for Jesus, then I'm coming for a preference. And when the preferences are taken away through persecution or simply getting my needs met, then it's a game changer as a whole. Some people come uh, as a conscience soother, right? Because we all know it feels better to have gone to church on Sunday morning than to not. Some people come to get their needs met or to have friends. And some people come because Jesus has saved them and they want to do everything they can to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Here's a few thoughts from a, a retired pastor Joe McKeever, he said, churches are always changing. Check this out. Only the dead ones don't. Powerful? Churches are always changing. Only the dead ones don't. Recognize that churches are always in a state of change if they are alive. And really we could say that the Christian life is a life of change. It's Jesus pointing out things to me this week that I didn't realize that week, last week, and so forth and so on. And the more that we become like Jesus, the more that we change. And guess what? Every single person who comes to Rocky Mount Baptist Church and is saved and joins the team to share the gospel, the church changes. Right? Every time one of our dear, precious men or women, or we praise, when they pass away, the church changes. Every time that we do missions, the church changes. And praise God that He doesn't keep us in a state to where nothing changes. Anger, unfriendliness, and evangelistic apathy could be signs of a preference-driven church or a member. 
You see, now Jeff, it seems like we, we have changed over these last few years. What, what about all of the people? And we were up in the historical room this past week just looking around at some different things. I mean, what about those people who served here for years, some decades, some some grew up in this church and heard the gospel here and, and had their funeral in this church. How, how do we honor those people that if they came in, let's say they passed away and years ago, they wouldn't even understand why the stage is set up the way it is or why a pastor is preaching in blue jeans. Maybe I shouldn't have done it, Fred. Waited till the end of the sermon to bring this out, Brother Pat. That if that's thrown you off the whole time, it may be a sign that you're preference-driven. Pastor Jeff, I mean, why, why would you do that? To show that you don't have to be dressed in a certain way to preach the Word of God? And maybe some of our traditions are even walls to keep people from hearing the Gospel in the first place. But how do we honor those people who have sacrificed for this ministry in years past? Here's how we do it. We reach the next generation. The way that we dishonor them is to say, you know what? I'm not changing a thing. In fact, if people want to come, they need to become like me and like us. And the church will die within our generation. We realize that every church is within a generation of dying. It doesn't take long. You miss that next generation, then simply, like let's say my generation, I'm 34, we grow and we grow and we grow older and older and older, and then we're in the 70s and 80s and there's a huge gap and no one else is there. And if my generation doesn't reach the next generation, then the church closes up and it's sold to somebody for some type of business purpose. But the way that we honor those who have sacrificed for years, the way that we honor the gospel, the way that we honor Jesus, is to, like Tom Rainer said, to exchange our preferences for the joy of serving other people. Guess what? If there's things here that make you uncomfortable, that may just mean that God is leading us to a new level of obedience. In our uncomfortability, we may learn something new through that, right? May God help us to exchange preferences for the glory of Jesus and serving other people. And if you're thinking about joining Rocky Mount Baptist Church, if you believe that God has brought you here, we need your help in reaching Rocky Mount, Virginia, Franklin County, and the world for Jesus Christ. 